Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27 says, By faith he, speaking of Moses here, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Let us pray. Father, we pray this morning, Lord, in the name of Jesus, thanking you that we can gather here in the United States of America and we can open up the Word of God in public and drink it in, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that if there's anyone here who's never experienced that, the sweet water of the Word of God, drinking it in and letting it become a part of them. I pray that that would happen this morning. And Lord, just for everyone of us here, we come here this morning to be touched by your Word, by the Holy Spirit, by the family of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 you could say that the chapter revolves around verse 6 as without faith it is impossible to please God without faith it is impossible to please God you know i've spent a good deal of my life doing all kinds of things religious things that i thought would please God but really they weren't pleasing him at all in fact, most religion in the world, the Bible says, is man's manufactured attempt at pleasing God. But again, religion doesn't please God at all. A lot of the Bible was written specifically to address this very thing. A lot of the ministry of Jesus was written specifically to address this issue that religion man's manufactured religion religious exercises of all kinds Jesus himself addresses this over and over but throughout the Bible Amos 521 it says and this is God speaking this is God in Amos 521 says I hate strong word that word hate I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. Isaiah 1.15 When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make your prayers, I will not hear. Jeremiah 
This is the Lord speaking still. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. Micah 6, 7, and this is a religious man speaking. It says this, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my sin, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Answer, no. Matthew 23, Jesus speaking here, rebuking the Pharisees who, said, who he said were willing to travel land and sea to win a single convert. Rebuking them for that. Rebuking them for long prayers, giving 10% of everything they had, following religious traditions by keeping their household clean from top to bottom, not a trace of dirt or uncleanliness. Uh, Rebuking them for building tombs to honor the prophets. Why does Jesus, why does God have such a problem with all these things? Because they're not done in faith. They were outward religious exercises. Listen, and they, what's important to understand, they were done for the purpose of trying to please God. That's why they were done. People were trying to please God. But God was not pleased. Hebrews chapter 11 is where you and I and anyone else can go to find out, well, what is the faith that pleases God? The chapter is actually introduced in verse 38 of chapter 10, which says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone who draws back, draws back to what? To what? Draws back to religion. Draws back into uh, empty, stale, barren religious exercises. Draws back into themselves the religion of self, the religion of the world. Christianity is about relationship, not religion. Verse 38 there says in chapter 10, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So what is faith? Chapter 11, verse 1 defines it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 1 through 3 actually define faith. The rest of the chapter, though, shows us faith. It shows us what faith looks like in the lives of men and women. And and I want to know what it looks like because I want to please God. So, so far, we've read about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. Rather, Moses part 1 will be in part 2 today. Again, verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now background, last week we read from Exodus chapter 1 how the Israelites grew to a nation of a couple million people and 
they grew so much that the Egyptians began to fear them. The Egyptians said to themselves, and you can read this in Exodus chapter 1, what if an enemy attacks us? And our, na- and, and our nation and in, in the Israelites just sort of back the enemy and stab us in the back. So Pharaoh the king ordered that all male Israelite babies be killed as they came out of the womb. Moses' parents, rather than obey the order, made a small ark, a basket. They covered the bottom with pitch. They put the baby Moses into it and they committed him into the hand of God and put it in the river, the river Nile. And we talked last week of the importance of committing your kids into the hands of God. If you were not here last week, you may want to get that CD, Committing Your Kids into the Hands of God. And that was a picture of it. Tiny baby Moses in that little ark made his way down the river and he was received on the riverside into the arms of the daughter of Pharaoh who adopted him and raised him in the courts of Egypt. Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And that's where we pick up in verse 27, where it says, by faith, Actually, let's start back in verse 24. It says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then again, down in verse 27, By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So, for a first-hand account of all of this, please turn back with me to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. A first-hand account of what happened when Mo- Moses forsook Egypt. Second chapter of the Bible. Moses, uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. where it says this, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong Why are you striking your companion? And then he said, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed that Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When when Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well... So now turn to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. So Moses, in the intervening time between chapter 2 and chapter 5, what happened? Moses went to Midian, found a wife there, raised sheep, stayed there for 40 years. 
after 40 years, God called him back to Egypt. He called him back to uh, lead the people out of Egypt. Not an easy task when there's 1.5 to 2 million of those people and they constitute the entire working force of the Egyptians at the time. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says this, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the land, uh, in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord nor will I let Israel go. Now, every time I read that verse, uh, Pharaoh saying, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Every time I read that, I cringe. Oh, what a foolish thing it is for someone to boast about this in their pride. And oh, is this man Pharaoh going to find out in the most excruciating way the folly of boasting in this way about the Lord. The Bible says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So God will show Pharaoh who he is, the Lord, who the Lord is, and why he, Pharaoh, should obey him. But as you see Moses coming in there at the beginning of, church, uh, of, of chapter 5, what is really going on with Moses, or what has happened to Moses here? He walks right into the courts of the most powerful man on earth and declares, thus says the Lord, let my people go. What's really going on here? Well, Moses had forsaken Egypt. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27 says, by faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He had forsaken Egypt at this point. Egypt, with all its wealth, all its pleasure, all its feasts, all its wine and song and entertainment, all its comfort and security, Egypt, with all the power and position which had been available to Moses, it just had been rooted out of his heart. It had been rooted out of his heart. God had said to Pharaoh, uh, rather Moses said to Pharaoh, Moses said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go. In his heart, at that moment, he walked on to the, into the courts. He had forsaken God, forsaken rather, um, Egypt in his heart. So, what happens after these verses in the beginning of chapter 5? The Lord afflicts Pharaoh in Egypt with plagues and with a couple of exceptions. Each time, Moses tells Pharaoh what the plague was going to be. The Lord turned the river Nile into blood. That was the first plague. And he next he sent a plague of frogs. Chapter 8 of Exodus, verse 6, says that frogs came up uh, and covered the land of Egypt. Can you imagine crawling into your bed at night, getting under the covers and realizing there's 25 frogs there with you in bed? Anyway, a plague of lice, a plague of flies, a plague of cattle, a plague of boils, painful boils, a plague of hail, a plague of locusts, 
Chapter 10, verse 15, says that locusts ate every herb of the land, all the fruit of the trees, and nothing green remained on the trees or the plants of the field. And so it's in the ninth plague where I just want to pick, pick up briefly. That's in chapter 10, verse 21. The ninth plague says, The Lord said to Moses, verse 21, Stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and and herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burn offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord God. Our livestock shall also go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let him go. Then the, Lord said to, then the Pharaoh said to Moses, Get away from me, take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. So what's really going on here? What's really going on when Moses says to Pharaoh, you have spoken well, I will never see your face again? Well, again, Moses had forsaken Egypt. Egypt was out of his heart. It had been rooted out. He had let it go. And that's what the faith that pleases God looks like. He let Egypt go. He knew because he had heard from the Lord that God didn't want any more of Egypt in his life. And again, what do I mean by Egypt? That pleasure, that power, that position, that comfort, that security offered by Egypt. Moses had forsaken it and replaced all of it with the will of God. Now, Turn back with me to chapter 11 of Hebrews again. Chapter 11 of Hebrews. (coughs) Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, meaning being willing to be identified with Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now remember, Moses had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, but his nanny was his biological mother. 
And no doubt his mother shared with him as she nursed him, as she raised him, as she disciplined uh, him about the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God was real, God was alive, uh, he was El Shaddai, God Almighty. He was the, uh, Moses' exceedingly uh, great reward and that he was a faithful God and that uh, he promised that by and through his people, the people of Israel, all the nations of the world would one day be blessed. And so when uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 24 there says that when he became of age, he knew who God was, the living God. And he realized by this time he had had a taste of everything the world had to offer. He just knew that it was going nowhere. It was also meaningless. It was shallow. It was pure vanity. You know, Solomon, who the Bible says was the wisest man who ever lived, it says in Ecclesiastes 1.13, he sets over all kinds of different things to bring his life satisfaction. He says, I set my heart to search out wisdom. In other words, he tried to find satisfaction, satisfaction in wisdom and education. And I saw all of it was vanity. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1, he says, therefore I will, uh, the, the, the wisdom and seeking satisfaction with education and uh, wisdom, that was all vanity. So it says, therefore my heart said I will enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. In verse 3 it says, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. I also made my works great. I built my, myself houses and planted vineyards. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. But indeed I found all was vanity. You know, Solomon wasn't the first to reach this conclusion. Moses had been there too. God was so much better, Moses found out. The Lord was so much better, even without any material possessions around, or without any power, or any entertainment, any pleasure. God was so much better. Moses didn't need Egypt. Egypt was vanity. All he needed was the Lord. And so verse 27, it says, By faith, this is the faith that pleases God, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now remember, it wasn't always like that, right? We read in chapter 2 of Exodus. There was a time where Moses hadn't forsaken Egypt. There was a time where Moses did fear the king. Remember in verse 27 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. There was a time he did fear the king. In Exodus chapter 2, it says, uh, we read that Moses killed an Egyptian officer who was beating a Hebrew slave. He realized the next day he was found out. And it says in uh, chapter 2, verse 14, he feared. Why did he fear? Because there was part of his heart that really hadn't left Egypt, that hadn't forsaken Egypt yet. It still liked the palace courts. It still liked that entertainment, that sensuality, which was just an idol in Pharaoh's court. 
He had reached the place in his life where he wanted to follow God and identify with God's people, but Egypt wasn't out of his heart yet. So what did he do? He tried to be a follower of God in secret. Familiar to anyone here this morning? And when he was found out, he feared. Oh, man. They found out I was a Christian. What's going to happen now? So what did he do? He bolted. He bolted and wound up in the land of Midian, according to Exodus chapter 2, on the backside of the desert. For 40 years on the backside of the desert. That's where he got his B.S. degree, backside of the desert. It was there that God faithfully and patiently rooted out every single bit of Egypt out of his heart. And that's what God, that's what God is faithful to do with you. That's what he's faithful to do with me. Is part of your heart still in Egypt, in the world? need to send you to college, BS degree, <coughs> backside of the desert. And so when God had completed his work in Moses' heart, he called him back to Egypt. Moses went, and this is what faith looks like. This is what the faith that pleases God. And you may say, Wow. Wasn't he fearful when he returned to Egypt that Pharaoh was going to wipe him out? I mean, he was a wanted man. He had killed an Egyptian officer. No, verse 27 of chapter 11 there in Hebrews says he did not fear the wrath of the king. Why? Because Egypt was no longer in his heart. What had replaced Egypt? It says in verse 27, he did not fear the wrath of the king for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Egypt, the love of it, had been replaced by the living God. And again, you may be sitting back in your chair thinking, wow, what a swell guy this Moses is. He really trusted the Lord. These verses weren't written for Moses. They were written for you. In the Bible, Egypt always represents the world. And I have a question for all of you this morning. It's a question for my own heart. Have you, have you forsaken the world? Have you forsaken the world? Maybe some of you didn't grow up like Moses with a nanny who taught you about God and you have nothing to forsake the world for. Moses forsook the world for what? For the Lord, for God. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that God can supply you what the world, what a thousand worlds could never do. And Paul and the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, he prayed for the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning men and women who hadn't grown up like Moses. They didn't know anything about God growing up. That's what a Gentile was. And in beginning in verse 16 of uh, chapter 1, Paul says to them, he says to the uh, 
uh, Gentiles in Ephesus, I do not give thank, cease to make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of, his glo- of the glory of the inheritance of the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards everyone who believes. If you haven't forsaken the world and you're wondering what to replace it with if you did forsake it, God wants to replace it with the exceeding greatness of his power. That's what the word of God says. God is so much better. The Lord is so much better. You don't need the world. 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. What does faith look like? It is forsaking the world, the laying hold of God. I'm not talking, of course, about going off and living in a monastery. I'm talking here about in your heart making a decision to let go of the world. Every bit of it. You know, in America, there are so many who fill the churches who, who their faith, pardon the analogy, they treat Christ, they treat the church like, like a shot of tequila, like a, like a spoonful of sugar, or a shot of vitamin B12. My brother, my older brother, who's a physician, once went to, about 15 years ago, he once was called to the Providence Coliseum where the rock band Kiss was playing. Kiss. I had about six of their albums completely memorized as a kid, and oh, how many years it took on the backside of the desert to get all that out of my heart. But anyway, that's, that's another story. But my brother shows up at this KISS concert, and before the concert, he gave Gene Simmons and the boys a shot of vitamin B12 before they went into the concert. B12, it's like gives you this energy mega boost, and aging rock stars like them like them so they can go around and run, run around like an 18-year-old on the stage. Perfectly legal, but... That's what he did. He gave them a, an injection of vitamin B12. And uh, by the way, after giving them the injection, he handed them an envelope with a letter uh, from him. It, it was a Dear Gene letter. Uh, Dear Gene, I used to love you, but now I love Jesus. Uh, but anyway, that's what he did. But then they went off onto the stage and did, you know, whatever it is uh, uh, that, you know, that, 
the kiss kiss usually does on a stage completely opposite in opposition to the word of god the will of god the way of god uh, but this is a perfect picture of the lives of so many who fill the church in the United States of America. And you may be here this morning, and this may be a picture of you treating church like a vitamin B12 injection. It gives you energy and an energy boost. It may give you some relief from the pain of life, the frustration of life, whatever. But after you... Or the, uh, are going back into the world onto a stage where everything taking place on the stage is in opposition to the word of God and you become just like any other player on the stage. That's what so much of the church in the United States looks like today. Have you <coughs> forsaken the world? Or are you like Moses in Exodus chapter 2 with the faith that pleases God? Have you heard the word of God and you know it and you want to be a child of God? Uh, perhaps uh, like Moses in Exodus chapter 2, you still have too much of the world in your heart so you settle for the secret kind of double life that uh, Moses led where he tried to do the will of God in secret on his own terms to sort of bury it up so the world didn't see, doesn't see it but unwilling to forsake the world completely. Listen, I'm here to tell you this morning there simply is no such thing as being a follower of Jesus Christ unless you forsake the world, unless you abandon it. No such thing. Let's stop kidding ourselves, uh, brothers and sisters. What did we read in Amos 5.21? Again, God speaking. I hate, I despise your feast. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your stringed instruments. When you spread your, out your hands, Isaiah says in chapter 1, I will hide my uh, eyes from you. Even though you make ma many prayers, I will not hear. What was the problem with those people in the book of Isaiah and Amos? It was because though they were identifying with Israel as a nation, and so they showed up at, uh, at temple and, and, and they tried to sort of behave and, and please God with a religious exercise. They turned around and went back home and they got rat right back onto a stage, the stage of the world where they were just like any other player. God says, I despise that kind of feast. I despise that kind of church service. Stop it. I'd rather have no church service. There's simply no such thing as being a follower of Christ with no forsaking, no abandonment from the world. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me, I'll repeat that. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is what faith looks like, the faith that pleases God. Verse 27 again in Hebrews 11 says, By faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know a key word in that verse is fear, fear. 
is what keeps most people from forsaking and abandoning the world. If I follow Jesus Christ and let go of the world, life's going to pass me by. I'll be left alone. My friends will leave me. They'll mock me. My family will reject me. Life may become so dry, so boring. And what if it make, what if I make this decision for Christ and then all this Jesus stuff turns out to be not true? It's a fable. What a waste it will all have been. If that's where you are this morning, my prayer for you is that you, like Moses, would press on with the right decision because you see him who is invisible. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, again, he prayed that they would, the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. Enlightened with what? The invisible God, the truth. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the reality of God that lives in our heart, a gift from God. Let me close with this. The next verse, verse 28, says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So let's turn back and read just a few verses about that. That is in Exodus chapter 11. Rather, it's actually it's in Exodus chapter 12. Now, the setting for this is this. The plague of darkness didn't convince Pharaoh to let all the Israel, Israelites go. And so God announced one more plague. It was the plague of, you could say, of the firstborn. It says in chapter 11 of Exodus, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. <coughs> and so, this is the final pl uh, plague that the Lord instituted in the land of Egypt. And you may ask, well, if he's going to... Uh, if he's going to go and he's going to kill all the firstborn children, what will happen to the children of Israel? And that's what the Passover is. In chapter 12, it says this. The Lord spoke to, in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Underline that. A lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. 
And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbors next to his house take it. According to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. So no blemish on the lamb. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly on the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall put, take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So when it says they shall put it on the two doorposts, think of a door. So they put some of the blood of the lamb on the two doorposts, meaning on the two sides of the door, and on the lintel. The lintel is just the beam above the door. So they put it up here on the lintel and right here on the two sides of the doorposts. And it says in verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That is the Passover. And so what happened? The, uh, the angel of death went throughout Egypt and destroyed all the firstborn except on those houses where the blood was on the lintel and on the two uh, doorposts. And, you know, when the angel went by uh, and saw that blood, he didn't ask, well, is there any, has everyone in this house, have, have they really been serving as hard as they can, serving the Lord? Have they been praying enough? Has anyone in this house raped someone or murdered someone or lied or cheated or stolen? Didn't ask any of those questions. All they saw was the blood on the top of the door and on the sides of the door. That's it. If they saw the blood, the angel, the angel went on. And it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, it says, by faith, it says in Hebrews 11, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the uh, blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn touch them. Now listen, the Passover is one of the main principle, first and foremost, signs, foreshadowings of the cross. Sign of the cross. The blood was on the top of the door and the two sides, a cross. That's where the blood was. They put a thorn, a crown of thorns on Jesus' head. And the blood poured out there. They drove spikes into his hands. And the Bible says that no one, no man, no woman, nor child is good enough to earn their way 
into heaven. No man, no child, no woman is, is, has lived a life that can earn heaven on the basis of their works. No man or woman or child can live a life that's so good that will prevent them from suffering the penalty for their sin, which is, which is death and hell and torment forever, the Bible says. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in the blood, that Jesus, by Jesus' blood, by the cross, he died for them. And that just as we sang in the hymn this morning, though their sin is as crimson, the blood wipes them clean, slate, white as snow. And that when a a man or woman uh, comes to the cross and and they want to give their life to Christ, Jesus is not asking them, well, how many times have you lied in your life? How many abortions have you had? How many times have you stolen? Uh, How many times have you ripped people off? How how much sexual immorality uh, uh, have you been involved with? No. In Egypt, when the angel of death went throughout the land, he wasn't asking any of those questions. He was just looking for the blood. And that's what the Christian faith is all about. It's the blood of Jesus which we accept by faith. The blood that was, was on the head and on the two hands and on, and, and on uh, the feet as well. That's the basis of salvation. That's the entryway into an eternal relationship with the living God. And the faith that pleases God is the faith that says, you're right, there is no righteousness that I have in my own life that can merit me from not being punished with the punishment I deserve for everything that I've done. It's only your blood, Lord. That's the faith that pleases God. And if you put your trust in Christ, the Bible says you'll be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the good news, verse 29 of chapter 11 says, says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. They were drowned. The Egyptians were drowned. The world, God will deal with the world that is in your heart. That part, that part of your heart that you can't just root out. You know, when someone needs to go to um, a doctor, they don't say to themselves, well, I'm going to get all healed, and then I'll be ready to go to the doctor. And and likewise, if you are thinking this morning, I can't come to Christ, I I first need to do this, that, and the other. Well, that's foolishness, because the Bible says that first you come to the cross, and then by His power and by His Spirit, the world will be drowned, it'll be put to death. Just like it says there in verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 11. If you haven't done that, if you've never done that in your life, 
please speak with me after the service, or there'll be a couple of uh, people here after the service. You can pray with them. It's a simple prayer of faith. You're not saved by works. You're saved by faith and placing your faith in that blood, the cross, what Jesus did for you. And his resurrection, he ascended into heaven, now offers you eternity as a free gift. And for everyone else, everyone who has accepted Jesus in your life, believe in that power, that exceedingly great power that is willing to bring you to the place where all your enemies, the enemies in your heart, are drowned. They no longer have power over you. The Bible says that until we get to heaven, we're, we're not going to be uh, sinless. We'll stumble and fall for the rest of our lives in, in many ways. But there's a promise that God gives us that our enemies need not have power over us anymore. And that's what Jesus will do for you.